The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey there, friends, and welcome back to another episode with Afternoons with Mike, heard right here on the Shepherd Radio Network. With me on the line today from the AFA, that is the American Family Association, M.D. Perkins. Just a little bit about M.D. He is an author. Uh, He is a research fellow of church and culture for AFA. He's produced an award-winning documentary called The God Who Speaks and also In His Image. It's really great to have M.D. with us. Welcome to our program, sir. Yeah, good to be with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Now, I know that you're also an elder in your church there in Tupelo. I see that. Yes, sir. And uh, so you're involved in a lot of different areas. Uh, Let's talk about you for just a moment, your background. Have you always been there in Mississippi? Yeah, I I grew up here in Mississippi, and I live in my hometown in Tupelo, Mississippi, which is where AFA offices are located and where the ministry was founded. And um, so... Yeah, I grew up here and then went to school at Savannah College of Art and Design, studied film and television production, and then ended up um, back here in 2014. So I've worked with AFA since 2014 and uh, have been involved as a film producer and film director, writer, and editor with a number of our, uh, our video projects. And then through working on In His Image, which is a documentary about gender and sexuality, um, through the research in that is how I came to write this book, uh, Dangerous Affirmation, The Threat of Gay Christianity. Now, so your background, you've wanted to do what you're doing right now, uh, even prior to going to college. And I had a friend that sent a child to SCAD, and uh, that's a really great school in Savannah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And I enjoyed my time there thoroughly. I mean, as a kid, you know, I loved movies. And um it was really the the Indiana Jones movies that really got me hooked. At first, I wanted to be an archaeologist, and then once I saw a behind-the-scenes thing about how they were doing the stunts and the visual effects and stuff, that's when I realized that's the real fun part. You know, archaeologists probably don't get to do uh, all the things that Indiana Jones does, but that's uh, that's what kind of spurred me as a kid to to jump in. And then um, and then in God's God's good plan, you know, he as a Christian, you know, stirring my heart to do things that were ministry oriented and and theologically minded documentaries. The God Who Speaks is about um, the Bible's authority and how we can trust the Bible and and how the evidence points to the fact that it really was um, God's word for us. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's a pretty neat thing to be able to, to do the thing that you love to do, but also do it for God's glory and to be able to do it um, with others who are who are wanting to help you help you accomplish those those uh, those visions? As you were uh, being raised there in Tupelo, were your parents church-going people? Oh, absolutely! And in fact, the church that I'm I'm an elder in is the church that I grew up in, and my father is also an elder with me on wow. the on the session there at the church. So, yeah, it's it's a great legacy of faith, really. You know, God's kindness to our family is is felt. You know, I was protected from so many things as a as a kid growing up there with parents who not only were believers, but my parents were also diligent to try and 
understand the things that were going on in culture and how to how to explain those things. They were very interested in apologetics. R.C. Sproul and uh, Norman Geisler were were common names that I heard mm. uh, growing up, and and so those and Francis Schaeffer, and so all of those kinds of influences were there for me at an at an early age, and I believe the Lord really got a hold of me in high school, and I came to know Him in a saving way then. But uh, you know, just the legacy of parents being faithful and discipleship and raising their children and pointing them toward Christ and being involved in in uh, in church activities and things. Many many ways of uh, of the Lord getting a hold of me. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, R.C. Sproul had such an effect on so many people. I had an opportunity to have him as a professor for a class at uh, RTS here in Orlando and got to know him a little bit. And oh, what a, what a man of God he was. Oh, that's that's awesome. You know, we we actually got uh, I think one of his last interviews before he passed away for the God Who Speaks. We were, we had the opportunity to film him there in in Sanford, and um, you know, it's just for me. It was <laughs> I was there to to film the interview, so I wasn't really co- cognizant much of the fact of just how monumental it was really for me personally until after he had left, and then I suddenly realized, wait, that was, that's R.C. Sproul. That's one of the men who the Lord has used to shape my faith, perhaps in one of the most profound ways uh, growing up, and what an honor that was to be able to sit down with him and, and hear his thoughts on biblical inerrancy. It is so great that you got to do that. His book, The Holiness of God, is a must-read, I believe, for every believer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would agree with that. I mean, that that was such a an important topic for him and one that had been lost in a lot of, uh, of Christian thinking. And so good for him to bring that truth back to us, to remind us of that. Well, tell me a little bit about how it is that you got onto this subject. I know I've already heard you say that growing up, you're having a real deep held interest and love for the things that God has in his word. Yet we find ourselves living in a culture that increasingly and shockingly is embracing this whole thing called homosexuality and all of the uh, alphabet soup uh, kind of designations that go along with that. And in an ever-increasing way, letters are being added to this movement. And it is very concerning. So what got you pointed in this direction to write this book? Well, you know, I'd never set out to write a book. Uh, And I certainly never set out to write a book on this topic. Um, really, really, the the backstory to even getting into this was dealing with the In His Image project. You know, as I mentioned, uh, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is the subtitle in that documentary. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was helping to produce that. We uh, Kendra White was the the director on that, and um, you know that was a project that AFA was was deeply desiring for us to have something that would be able to speak to the the issues of of sexuality and gender and the confusion that's happening in society to be able to hold up the biblical picture to be able to present testimonies of people who'd come through those things and found hope and freedom in Christ and to be able to to help encourage and warn people about all of these things so um at some point during that process i asked Kendra um you know you you've got stacks of things that you need to research. What's something I could help you with as a producer? Just get some of the research off your plate. She said, well, there's this whole question of gay Christianity and the way that uh, the LGBT movement is impacting the church. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I 
I said, great, I'll take that. You know, I thought I was going to spend an afternoon or two just kind of looking through some things. But as I started to try and untangle all of the various aspects that that had been impacting uh, the church and not just not just the affirming church. I mean, we can talk about some of those distinctions, but also this rise of the whole revoice movement and revoice theology and the, the revoice conference, which is kind of something that's affecting a lot of conservative uh, Orthodox churches, uh, the, the Presbyterian Church in America, Southern Baptist Convention, uh, and, and others are dealing with some of the influence of that, which is a, a soft form of, of gay Christianity. So as I was trying to untangle that whole mess of, of what all this stuff was, um, I started to write down the research, and I would share that with some of the some of the other uh, staff members here at AFA. And as we did that, um, some of the leadership looked at it and said, "This is really good. We actually need to turn it into a book. Can we can we take something that um, that would deal with this whole issue of gay Christianity, not just the the revoice side of it, but also the affirming church and some of the other things that are happening?" And so. You know, I started writing stuff down just to try and clarify it for myself, to try and understand what was happening, because there's so many complicated uh, language is important, and it's being challenged in certain ways, and, and the phrasing matters, and so all of that stuff, I was just trying to understand it for myself, and then, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't say that a book just popped out, but... You know, once the once I started doing that, it was it, it, the the structure of of a book started to come pretty clearly, and and then I started to pursue that. It's a great story to realize that God is helping you uncover this information, and then it does turn into something that can be read, can be disseminated in that way, and help other churches. Yeah. I, I'm sure that you, like we all of us that have been involved in any form of ministry or church work over the years, probably found a great deal of surprise that a lot of mainline denominations are reaching out and grabbing hold to this, uh, this thing in our culture and embracing it. it. It's almost unthinkable that we are willing to let go of the great parts of the Bible that teach against this and really call it for what it is. It's sin. And yet it's being, uh, embraced and and honored that's that's what's amazing and those that those of us that would stand for a biblical worldview are often then cast as uh, being haters that that's got to be that had to be for you a big shock to get into it and see how deep this is going yeah you know mike i was i was born in 1983 and so i'm i'm 39 years old and so i've i've seen the shifts that have happened um, you know, not not fully the way that someone in the 70s would have seen them, but I've seen the shifts in the way that my own generation has responded to and seen the influence of, because, I mean, you know, I was 14 years old in 1997 when Ellen uh, was mm-hmm. w- came out as gay on, uh, on the ABC television show that she was on. Um, you know, one of those first major flashpoint moments that... Um, that, uh, of a major character, you know, coming out as gay on television and trying to, to talk about it being normal and good and okay. And then once you start to realize that there's, I've seen a number of friends and acquaintances and people that I've known over the years who started out kind of in Orthodox territory over time, begin like little ways that things have chipped away and chipped away at their, um, at their commitment to biblical truth and Orthodoxy. And this, this issue of homosexuality and how do we how does the church deal with 
homosexuality and people who call themselves LGBT or Q plus or all the other acronyms that are there. Uh, how do, how do we respond to that? And that, that question has just um, really decimated a generation and, and future generations really of, uh, of people who would be committed to the truth in one sense. And yet here is, here is a, the tip of the spear in terms of the attack. Uh, and it's just, it is devastating and it is widespread and far more damaging than I had really appreciated to that point. I agree. I like your phrasing, the tip of the spear. Sometimes it's very difficult to find out where that tip is because this whole thing has enlarged in our vision. It's like, you know, it's not just any longer homosexuality that we're dealing with right now, but we're dealing with this whole thing of transgenderism. And that has, in the last couple of years, uh, you talk about trying to find the center point, the uh, the vertex of, of this discussion, it's difficult to, to put it in there and to find out where it is. It's, like you said, an ever-enlarging number of acronyms that are going, and, and now we're adding pluses, and I'm thinking, <laughs> where does this end? Yeah, yeah. what's being trafficked in the plus sign uh, as people either develop new things or they know things like pedophilia and other other abominations will be added to that. And one thing I would say that's helpful for Christians to understand, it was helpful for me, you know, when we talk about homosexuality, Christians tend to think that we're only talking about a behavior, you know, the, the physical action. And homosexuality is, is really more than that. And when people talk about it in society, when they talk about being gay, they're not just talking about engaging in an activity, they're talking about an identity. They're talking about community and cultural aspects. They're talking about a sense of, uh, of a, a way of thinking and sensibilities of, of um, behavior and, and um, you know, presenting yourself aesthetically. So, and, and language, of course, playing a key role in all of this too. So when we're talking about homosexuality, it's actually a very complex and complicated topic. And that identity aspect of it, as you're alluding to there with the whole transgender thing, uh, and that's that's the the that's the thing that holds those two letters together the the LG and the and the T, even though they're at odds in so many ways, because in order to have a same sex attraction, you have to recognize that there are distinct sexes and there's kind of a binary difference between them. But uh, transgenderism kind of blows up that whole thing. But still, there's that that common identity component of somebody feeling like they are a certain way in their mind, and therefore that determines how they live, how they think, how they respond, how they identify themselves, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So, I mean, that's, and that makes it, that makes these complicated, that makes these conversations, I should say, very challenging because you, when you start talking about homosexuality being against God's design and against God's law, now you're, now you're challenging someone's core sense of being. You know, you're saying that I'm, I'm not okay to just live this way because, I, I think that I'm born this way and I can't change, you know, so that's, that's where these things get complicated. It's, they're very complicated, especially if you do happen to find, like many people are digging up and finding videos of some of the current government leaders who are pushing all of this upon us as if this is the right way to go uh, and find out that they're uh, moving into this territory was only of recent. And in fact, they were just as uh, strong in the opposite direction a couple of years ago. It, it's really troubling 
when you realize that a whole generation, like you said right now, are being brought up in our public school system and these kids who don't have that history, who don't understand the difference and maybe aren't raised by any parents that uh, are teaching them about the Bible, they're being taught this as, as the truth as the way it's always been when it hasn't been. And I think that's something that we've all got to take pause and realize that we're being sold a bill of goods here, asked to believe and sign on to something that is relatively new. All of these years of recorded history, man. And yet now we're asked to believe that this is uh, the way it should have been all along. Yeah, people often take this whole argument about homosexuality as kind of a good faith argument. You know, they think that everyone's just arguing on the same terms and we're just, you know, people are just concerned about being able to do this or that over here and we just need to understand their point of view. But once you actually dig below the surface, you realize there is a political agenda of the left within all of this LGBTQ push. And and you can't you can't just wish that away or act like it's not there. That was one of the surprising things in the research, Mike, was, um, you know, the last chapter of my book deals with creating activists. Because even when you're talking about gay Christianity, you think this is focused merely on the church or making the church more accepting. But my question was, why do you want to make the church more accepting of this? Mm -hmm. Well, because the church is fundamentally the last wall of protection from the full onslaught of this across society and culture. The, the church, even just by its, its very tame sometimes and not always clear and sometimes uncertain witness, and we can, we can knock the church for not being consistent in, in telling the truth about all of this, but still, even with that, there is the desire to change the laws and to, to get Christians themselves to either be silent in in standing up against this or to become advocates for uh, LGBT rights and the, and the whole LGBT movement in society. So I, I think there is a political end game behind this, even within the, with, even within the religious conversation. No doubt. I'm talking today to M.D. Perkins from AFA, the American Family Association. He's author of the book, Dangerous Affirmation, The Threat of Gay Christianity. And we'll be back with him in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Don't go away. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Thank you so much for joining us today on Afternoons with Mike. It's my privilege to be talking to M.D. Perkins from the American Family Association, a producer turned into author, although, as he has said, it was kind of an accidental uh, beginning to a, a writing career. You're doing some research. All that research ends up getting packaged into uh, a series that becomes a book. And right now that is available only through your website, right? Yes, dangerousaffirmation.net. It's not currently available on Amazon. We're hoping to get it up there sometime, but uh, dangerousaffirmation.net is how you'll be able to connect to the AFA Resource Center to buy a copy of the book. 
Now, you said something in the first segment. I'd like to uh, circle back around to, if I could, MD. And that was yes. this thing in the church called Revoice. Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in 2018, there was a conference held at a church in St. Louis, Missouri, and it was called the Revoice Conference. Now, what was notable about this conference, I mean, obviously, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of, of, of gay Christian activities that are happening, and churches are often hosting them, sadly. But what was noteworthy about this is that it was hosted at a PCA church, that is the Presbyterian Church in America. Um, for those who aren't versed on the distinction, the Presbyterian Church in, in the USA, the PCUSA, is the more liberal mainline denomination. And then the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, is the conservative branch that split off from that and wants to maintain biblical orthodoxy in all of these ways, including the teaching on sexuality. And so for a a PCA church to host a conference that dealt with, um, in some measure, endorsing homosexuality was was very concerning. Now, there was a lot of of controversy that blew up once people started to realize what was going on here. But what what it came down to was there was a there was kind of a a different strain of gay Christian teaching that was happening here um, by guys who considered themselves gay but also identified not only as Christian, but as conservative evangelical in some sense. And so they said that they believed that the Bible's teaching about sexuality was correct, that they should not pursue a homosexual marriage, that they should not pursue homosexual behavior as a lifestyle. Yet nevertheless, they said that I'm born this way and I can't change, and therefore I just kind of need to find ways to be able to mitigate those feelings. And so I'll embrace celibacy, but I won't really pursue um, heterosexual marriage. I'll, um, I'll create these new categories of spiritual friendship where I can be, uh, you know, in this committed relationship with a same-sex friend, but it's basically akin to a marriage relationship, but we won't pursue that expression physically. And we will blame the church for all of the victim for all the ways that we've been victimized by the church, by their not understanding us and not wanting to hear us out, but still fundamentally believing that, uh, that, that homosexuality is innate and immutable and that even, even the desire for it is, is something that's morally neutral. And mm. so that was, that, these were the things that were coming out through the, through the Revoice Conference, and they're continuing to have repercussions throughout with the PCA in particular, but uh, other conservative churches as well are dealing with it. Now, how do you think those churches that held that, I think you said it was in the St. Louis area, how do you think mm-hmm. they arrived at this place to, to embrace that with the clear teachings that I know that the PCA church is typically very orthodox in terms of their uh, wanting to hold true to the Word of God and not wanting to deviate into that? How do you think they got to that place where they're going to have a, a conference that embraces this? Well, I mean, people have offered some theories about kind of the way, some subtle ways that people might have embraced certain theological things earlier on. But honestly, Mike, I think it's a little more simple than that, and it's just more emotional than that. I think there's people who have had friends, loved ones, even children who have come out and said that they're gay, and then Orthodox people are trying to find a way to cope with that because their children say this, and then they say that they've been harmed and victimized by the church, that they've been abused mm. and misunderstood, and 
and that Christian teaching is too harsh, it's too alienating, and that if you found a softer way to approach or talk about these issues, that uh, that LGBT people would be more inclined to hear. And um, and so I think that's very attractive to people who feel like they want to hold on to orthodox truth, but maybe find a more nuanced way to approach it is, is how they consider it, I think. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, time and time again, I mean, just the anecdotal examples speak for themselves, but I've seen so many, um, you know, Christian leaders who once stood on the side of orthodoxy and said that homosexuality is wrong and sinful suddenly begin to shift in that position and then at some point fully come out and say that they no longer hold that position anymore. More times than not, if you ask, if you actually look into the biography of the person who's saying that, you'll find there's a child who came out as gay or there's a loved one or a friend or a sibling or something like that who came out. And then this person was, was faced with a conflict and ultimately chose to, to alter their theology in order to find a way to, to more easily embrace the person that they love. It's interesting that they're not only altering their, their theology, but they're bending the principles of God to try to bend it around their own emotional situation. And that's what you're describing, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's, these are, these are people, I'm, most of the people that I'm thinking of are like pastors and church leaders, but this is something that's common to all Christians. I mean, that temptation is there for any of us. You know, when we when we're faced with a loved one that we want to we want to find a way to be able to as as biblically as we can to be able to to have fellowship with them, to be able to to speak to them and maintain a relationship. And I know I know that's a struggle for a lot of parents, especially when a child comes out, because you don't want to lose the relationship. But at the same time, you can't compromise truth in that process. And you have to trust that as you maintain your commitment to the truth that the Lord would honor that and use that even, even perhaps in the repentance and return of that child to, to understanding once again who God called them to be. So how, uh, in your experience, how is the PCA Church responding today to what happened in St. Louis and with regards to this entire movement? How are they responding? Well, that's, that's still, um, there's still a lot of things that are happening there, but I, I think probably something that a lot of people would, would want to take note of is the fact that the church that hosted that and the pastor who who initially, when that conference first happened, had not come out and said that he himself identified as gay. Um, but that happened in 2019, a year after the conference. Oh, wow. But, um, but there was a lot, obviously, there was a lot of controversy surrounding him and surrounding that church. And that church did vote to remove their membership from the PCA. So that, that church, as well as the minister, are no longer a part of the denomination. Now, I think there were still a lot of supporters of, of that pastor and the church and the whole Revoice conference within the PCA. And so that's still an ongoing conversation. There was a study committee report that was called for in 2019 and uh, that, that was released in 2020 that tried to clarify some of these things. There have been overtures and these motions that happened at the general assembly level that have tried to, to deal with this. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of ink has been spilled. A lot of time has been spent on this controversy. And in some ways, I think there's still some things that haven't been resolved, but obviously, you know, one of the major proponents of that has, has decided to leave the PCA, even though um, he was, he was brought up on charges at the church within the denomination, but that, that didn't come to anything. 
Um, so anyway, sadly, there's, there's so many going aspects. Yeah, so, uh, so many who are caught in that kind of a scenario will just, like you said, withdraw. And once they withdraw, yeah. then it takes uh, the ability, you know, for any accountability to uh, just go right out the window then because he's out there on his own. And I am sure would find plenty of welcoming arms in the culture who would say, hey, you're doing the right thing. Uh, come over to this side. It, it's just, it's mind boggling how that people who should know better and could know better. And then you find out though, that the leader is, is actually uh, already, uh, he's already kind of compromised on that issue and has already gone yeah. over. And that's, that's, that's yeah. a really sad thing. It is. And the other side of it is that he, he will now use uh, the people who were trying to warn and speak about and bring clarity to the issue he'll hold them up as somehow people who were who were homophobic and were mm -hmm. bigoted in their responses and just use it as more fuel for the kind of victimhood mentality that sadly is is really underneath so much of this movement now i'm sure that afa has had some of the uh, arms of its ministries already uh, affected somewhat by this cancel culture that's out there right now and i'm sure yeah. that if your book when it comes in the hands of these people <laughs> it's going to do the same thing right oh yeah i mean you know like i was saying it's not currently on amazon but when we try and get it finally on amazon we're not sure how long it'll be able to stay on amazon cuz right. we have many friends and co-laborers whose books have been removed and uh, and they're not allowed to be sold through that platform. And uh, yeah, I mean, AFA a, a couple of years ago just started to see a lot of these things happening. Uh, and so for our own ministry content, we created the AFA streaming platform, uh, which is uh, at uh, afa.net. It's at streaming.afa.net, which is just a website for a lot of, of AFA's video content to live and our, our, the video versions of our radio programs are there. But I mean, that's part of that is for our own archive, but also part of that is because we don't know when YouTube will finally decide, hey, Christian, you don't get to say anything on here anymore. We don't like the way that you've, you've been doing that. And certainly the, some of the information coming out about the Twitter files certainly seem to testify to big tech's ability to try and um, you know, shape the conversation and what publicly is allowed to go out there. So yeah, I mean, cancel culture is real and we haven't been hit with it as hard as some, but we, we don't trust that we'll be able to stay on a lot of these platforms long-term. You know, I think every one of us that's in the media like this, uh, I find my, I find it hilarious because I am part of the media. And yet because of, we are uh, really aiming to live our lives and look at through everything we do through the lens of a biblical worldview, I don't associate with the media, but yet it, it's going to potentially impact every single person. We have a lot of folks on our station who have programs on our station who have been canceled, some who lost their Twitter accounts, their Facebook accounts, mm -hmm. their YouTube accounts. Some of that has come back, but you're right. None of us have a guarantee that any of our streams that we employ right now, even the airways that have, are governed by our government, when you look at what the government is standing for, when you look at what they are pushing, it does make you wonder, you know, will there be an attempt to shut down every radio person that sees it differently? Yeah. One of the things, Mike, that really shook me while I was writing this project was I had a friend who pays attention to a lot of the ongoing legislation in other places. And he, 
he sent me a message and said, Do you, are you aware that there's currently legislation being discussed in Britain that would make you, um, that would put you in prison for the book that you're writing right now? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, that, that'll wake I you mean, up in the morning. Yeah, that's a wake-up call. And honestly, Mike, I mean, I had to really wrestle with myself over that too, you know, and think like, well, I mean, that could happen here. And that just because I wrote this in the year, in the years before that was officially enacted some in, in America, like there may be a time where I'm put in prison for the book that I wrote here this past year. And, you know, so I'm, my conscience is clear. I'm, I'm okay to do that if that was, if that's what the Lord would have. But I mean, that, that, those are the kinds of situations that Christians will continually find ourselves in. And, you know, of course, we hope and pray that it doesn't come to that. But at the same time, we have no guarantees. And our ultimate home is not in this world and creating comfort for us here. So we continue with the message. We try and get it out there. We try and be clear and bold in our proclamation of it. And we trust that the Lord will give the increase in that. You know, when I think about a story like that and I hear the threats that come, I, I, I'm immediately drawn to what happened to Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah, where the threats mm-hmm. from Sanballat came. And it, those were real threats. I mean, they were uh, aided and strengthened by the presence of other people and perhaps uh, just, you know, intimidation that we can't even begin to understand. But we also have the hope, the fact that, like you said, we know how this story will end ultimately. Those that are believers in God, we have the strength of the word and the fact that the Bible represents God's will is something that we can lean on and we must lean on. One of the most, I believe, encouraging things that we can do right now is look at Joshua 1, who was told to be strong and courageous. And those are two words that I believe every leader like you, every person that's involved in writing books, every person that has a ministry, they're going to have to become strong and courageous to continue speaking in this world. Yeah, and that that call for boldness is something that I'd try and pray often for myself and for other leaders, people who are involved. I mean, I'm I'm not really you know, that well known, but still, I mean, there's, I've still received letters from people who are very angry about things that I've said or things that I've written. Uh, I still know that there's tensions between other people who disagree with me. And, um, you know, and I know the, the way that the society is, is bending. And so, yeah, I mean, the Michael Brown, who, um, I don't know if you know him, he's a, he's a good apologist Yes, and he was involved in our documentary uh, in his image, but he, one of his prayers is, is for, a, you know, spine of steel and a heart of, a heart of flesh. You know, those, those two ideas that we would be compassionate toward the person who's lost and hurting and broken, but also that we would be bold and courageous to stand firm, even a society spits on us and attacks us and derides us and says even untrue things. And sometimes, you know, Sadly, you know, we do sin and we do mess up. And so sometimes those things can be brought up against us too. But we pray that we would be faithful uh, regardless of, of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Talking today to M.D. Perkins, the author of Dangerous Affirmation, The Threat of Gay Christianity. And again, it's not available on Amazon. So often we we talk about books all, and we kind of almost assume that every book that's written is going to be available on that platform. This one is not. Give us that platform where you can get it. 
you know, please go to dangerousaffirmation.net, dangerousaffirmation.net. That's where you can buy a copy of the book. All right, M.D. Perkins, my guest. We'll be back with him for one more segment. This is Afternoons with Mike. You're on The Shepherd. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando, offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Fun chat today with a new friend, M.D. Perkins, up in Tupelo, Mississippi, and he is part of AFA, an organization we haven't really kind of uh, given the nod yet that is do AFA. Donald Wildman was uh, the founder of this, what, back in the late 70s, I believe, right? Yeah, 1977. 1977 AFA uh, and he wasn't without his criticisms back uh, those would speak against him but I tell you what we're living in a day and an age where if you believe in God you're going to be ripe and open to criticism isn't that right oh absolutely and and that's something that only seems to intensify and grow the more that uh the more that time marches on I mean I, it's funny, you know, I'm glad that you're mentioning Don Wildman because that's actually our next um, documentary project is on the life of Don Wildman and the founding of AFA and Christians involved in the culture wars and standing for Christ in a in a lost and dying world. And so, you know, it's been a great joy and privilege to try and understand and get to know him and his life and uh, and the things that he stood for. And, you know, you said boldness. I mean, that's 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 what describes Don Wildman's character is uh, he, he really was fearless to stand up against network television. That's, that's how it started, you know, in the 70s yeah, with just yeah. the decline of morals in television and then going on to deal with issues of pornography and, um, and uh, the marriage, uh, standing for, for natural marriage and pro-life movement and all those kinds of things. So, yeah, it's a great legacy and a good organization to be a part of. And that sounds like a really interesting documentary that you're going to be putting out there. Do you enjoy what you get to do with all of this work of putting together these docu-series, these uh, videos that are seen? That's got to be a lot of fun for you. Oh, absolutely. I love every part of it. I love every phase. I love every phase of it, I should say. And um, I guess part of it is just there's a there's such diversity to the work. You know, when you're when you're planning a project is different from when you're actually producing it and filming it. And then when you're editing it, that's different. And then when you're adding in the music and you're going through the final touches and then when you present it and then you're promoting it. I mean, every every phase of it is different. And so, um, you know, it's it's been a joy to be able to do that um, in the service of of an organization that is trying to stand for biblical truth and to be able to equip people to stand. I mean, that's, that's why I wrote the book and being able to add writing to that list of, of activities too, is also fun in its own way. But, you know, we wrote this, I wrote this in order to help Christians to be able to be confident about what the Bible teaches. You know, we, there's a chapter two of the book deals with what are the what are what is the biblical teaching on on homosexuality in particular, and what are some of the challenges and attacks that are coming to that from even within the church, from from mainline churches, from from more progressive groups, but also I mean challenges that some some conservatives are, are raising and people are not as certain anymore as they used to be, 
And so how can we be confident that this, that what God's word said about this is clear and true? And then how do we communicate that to others? And how do we see the influences of the, of the culture starting to seep into the church? Mm-hmm. And so that's what it, I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create something that will equip Christians to be able to see these things within their own churches or denominations or even within their own hearts and then to be able to to uh, respond to that biblically. You know, as a young guy in the early 70s, I was in, I got in radio and country radio. Then I went to television, and I'll never forget, man, uh, there was a uh, news anchor, a female news anchor that I was, uh, I worked with, and I was the weather guy on this TV station, a CBS affiliate. And one of our conversations we were having off camera, we were discussing something that had to do with uh, the weather. And I believe, as I recall, it had to do, I I brought up a reference. Yeah. Like (laughs) we may have to build an ark and she didn't have any idea what we were talking about. And I said, well, you know, the story of Noah, this young lady had no idea had never heard in her entire life. Now, this is in the 70s. She'd never heard the story of Noah. And I'm thinking, how in the world does this happen in America? We have churches on every corner. But clearly, even my thought back then, not everybody is is uh, confident that they know the Word of God at all when you have people like her that had never even heard one of the Bible main characters of the Old Testament. So that happens, and if that happened in the 70s, we know that's happening in 2023. Yeah, well, biblical literacy is such a a waning thing in in our society as well as in the church, you know, and being part of the documentary, The God Who Speaks, that was one of those topics that came up from from many speakers, uh, many of our interview subjects talked about just the sadness with which many Christians seem to not really know their own Bibles as well as they should. And so, of course, if that's, a, if that's the state of the church, then what would we expect of the lost world where, you know, even a very intelligent and well-read and well-studied woman such as that would not even know the story of Noah? Um, because, you know, you, you can't trust that it's being taught anywhere. And so, but that presents again for us as Christians an opportunity to speak to the, to speak of the things of God, to point people to Christ, because as you live more and more in a post-Christian society, more and more people are being removed from any knowledge of of these things, and so it does create a real opportunity where once people might have been cold to it because they feel like they understood it already, even though it was misunderstood or misapplied, but now hopefully there will be increased uh, evangelism efforts among Christians to try and speak these things to our our friends and neighbors. You know, I heard you say you were 39 years old. I've got a son the same age, uh, also born in 1983. And, you know, I grew up my entire life hearing pastors talk about persecution, that one day we all may taste persecution personally. And I, I think we all took that to heart. I think we believed it back in the day. But now those that are living in this day are not only hearing it as a possibility, but they're seeing it as a reality that a lot of people are are really tasting, even in America, levels of persecution that I think in one way 
my generation probably would have thought, nah, that's not going to happen quite like that. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our my my uh, relatives, if they could, if they could know what was going on, they'd be rolling in their graves right now with some of the things that's going on in this country that they loved. Yeah, I've I've spent a lot of time in this new year in the book of First Peter, which of course talks a lot about persecution, talks a lot about persevering. And one of those those really cherished passages for me is in First Peter one, where it talks about, um, you know, in this you rejoice for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, even under the trials that we face or the persecution that we may have to endure. Part of the purpose of that, of course, we recognize in Romans that uh, all things work together for the good of the believer to those who are Mm -hmm. called according to his purpose. But part of that purpose is to to prove the genuineness of your faith, which God calls precious, and and he loves it, and he's, he's honored by it. And so for for the Christians to just continue to persevere in that, I mean, that's why Peter wrote this in a time of extreme persecution and trial for the church. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a good word for us today, that to remember, to not lose focus of that you belong to God, that you were you were born again to of, of imperishable seed, you know, and all of those kinds of things. But uh, it's proving the genuineness of your faith as you endure under these things instead of being uh, overwhelmed or overcome. It proves that you genuinely do belong to the Lord, that you are trusting Him, and that you're growing in His grace. And you know, I firmly believe that we're taught in the Word that we'll never know whether our faith is indeed genuine, whether it is the real deal, until we face some sort of test, some sort of trial. That seems to be the proving ground for all believers. And you know, it does not mean that judgment is there because we're going through a difficult time. It could just be a test. And we're going to find out whether we believe the real deal or not. And that applies to our lives. So a lot of people are going to be tested more so as time goes on. And uh, we've read again in in the book of Revelation, it's not going to get uh, better before it gets worse. It's the opposite. It's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. And uh, your book is uh, is helping people understand the, the level of threat that is out there in our culture right now. The book is entitled Dangerous Affirmation by M.D. Perkins, the subtitle, The Threat of Gay Christianity. And, you know, I know that uh, we talked a little bit about it, this acronym, heavy kind of uh, depicting of the LGB, and and you used to just be lesbians and gays. Now it's bisexual. It came up next. That's the B. And then the one that has grabbed the attention and certainly the news in recent couple of years has been the T and then right as quick as that one came around, the Q was added and then the pluses. Mm -hmm. So when you look at all of this, uh, you see it clearly, you've studied this a lot. You're seeing this go toward a goal. What do you think the church needs to wake up and see firsthand right now? What do we need to be doing right as a matter of first importance? Well, the the first matter is just to be praying and to not lose hope and to not lose sight of what's going on, to understand what these issues are and to understand the intense amount of spiritual warfare that surrounds all of these issues. When we're talking about some of these political things, like the transgender 
debate and all of these things. I mean, obviously, like we can focus on issues, but the people involved, like th- there's intense spiritual attack that's happening within these situations. And so, you know, to, to not so much depersonalize it to where we lose the, the fact that there is an enemy that exists in the spiritual realm that wants to steal, kill, and destroy and he's after the souls of men and women, boys and girls. And, and we will experience much um, persecution, even on the spiritual side of things, even mm-hmm. if, if things don't, it, regardless of however things happen in society and culture. Like once you start trying to understand and deal with this topic, the amount of spiritual threat increases because this is, this is the battleground. I used to not think that. I, I used to think like, well, this seems like such a side issue. But once you start to see that it connects to questions of identity and culture and and the way that you think and the way that you talk and all of these kinds of things and the way that society has embraced it, um, it, it's not a secondary issue. It actually is of first importance for us to deal with with understanding the whole LGBTQ issue, because this is where this is where future generations are being lost or won is on the question of what what do these things mean and can the bible speak to it and what does god actually have to say about it well i know i wrote the book and that's what i hope christians will take from it i know how important it is to have the truth and uh have it all of this stuff that's not true exposed thank you for doing the hard work that surprised you turned into a book i'm glad it did and uh, md perkins is the author of this book called dangerous affirmation the threat of gay Christianity. Give us that website where you can, uh, where our listeners can grab it. Please go to dangerousaffirmation.net to get a copy of the book. Dangerousaffirmation.net. All right, we've got just about uh, a minute left. Tell us what's ahead for you in 2023. No, I alluded to it earlier, but we're working on a documentary on. Uh, on Donald Wildman and the founding of AFA and Christians being involved in the culture war. It's, it's been a, a back, a back burner piece of research for me, but it's come to the forefront now as this book is going out there and, and the, the prior documentaries have been released. So this is our next project is on, uh, on Donald Wildman and, uh, and the founding of AFA and what, why, why did Christians feel the need to get involved in politics in the seventies and eighties and nineties? And what were they hoping to accomplish? That's, That's what we hope to explore with that documentary. That sounds great. I can't wait to uh, see it. M.D. Perkins, thanks for being with me today. And friends, thank you for joining us as well for another program, Afternoons with Mike, right here on The Shepherd. We'll see you next time. 